You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies before we begin on behalf of nikhil and myself i just want to wish a very happy new year to all of our listeners out there wherever you're located us canada europe africa asia wherever you are we thank you for your listenership and we wish you a wonderful year ahead so as of recording this episode since we are at the very end of 2021 we thought that it would be the perfect time to take a look back at some of the most important developments in the blockchain and crypto space within the last year so today we'll talk about some of the most prominent crypto projects that saw considerable growth uh we'll talk about defi nfts metaverses bitcoin adoption by el salvador and many more things so yes there's a lot that happened in the space this year and uh, we'll try our best to touch on as many things as we can Uh and of course heading into 2022 uh we'll also take a look at what might be some of the things that we should expect in the coming year. So with that Nikhil shall we start? Sure. Yeah and I'd like to add my uh warm welcome uh to everybody and a happy new year. Uh merry christmas as well. So uh let's start off with taking a look at how the year 2021 began. Uh we know that after the big crash of 2017 uh mostly due to the whole ICO bubble bitcoin and crypto market had lost a lot of value and uh, it was around 2020 that defi brought a lot of renewed interest within the space uh and i would say it was really all the growth in the defi space that catapulted the bitcoin and crypto market in the year 2020 uh to break all time highs and recover after the 2017 crash So uh we entered 2021 with bitcoin and crypto looking very bullish. BTC uh, began the year around 30k in dollar value and uh, many different catalysts came along the way. Uh that took its price all the way to an all-time high of uh, 69k or so. Uh and this included many different things. Um El Salvador became the first country to fully adopt bitcoin as legal tender. um also there was much greater interest from institutions so um microstrategy which is headed by michael saylor purchased uh, really high amounts of bitcoin this year uh, i believe they have something like uh, 120000 bitcoins or so at this point um tesla was another company that bought about 43000 bitcoins or so um so there was definitely a lot of new interest from institutions in bitcoin uh, compared to any of the prior years So uh, that's a very quick look at Bitcoin. Uh, Nikhil, do you want to talk about what happened with Ethereum this past year? Sure. Yeah. In fact, uh, if 2020 was a year of DeFi uh, and Ethereum was the main driver, right? Where be, be, because most of the DeFi projects uh, happened on Ethereum, uh, uh, 2021 uh, could be called the year of the NFT. and uh, again it was ethereum that basically 
was the substrate or platform for for all of these NFT projects as well. Uh, Ethereum itself, there was a lot of work put in uh, uh, since the ICO times. Uh, 2000, 2020 was uh, uh, a transmission year in terms of uh, the release of ETH 2.0's beacon chain. Uh, and uh, this year uh, also we had uh, EIP 1559, uh, which uh, w- went a big way, which was supposed to be a big step towards controlling the uh, one of the main complaints about Ethereum, which is the uh, unpredictable and high gas fees that uh, go with uh, transactions on Ethereum. And another significant milestone for Ethereum was that uh, uh, the ETH 2.0 Beacon chain uh, has finally gone uh, live, and uh, we have validators that are actually running on the on the chain as we speak. So uh, yeah, again, 2021 was a pretty significant year that way. Uh, but again, it is uh, Ethereum is is still in the throes of its transformation, I would say, and uh, I personally expect to see even more acceleration. Uh, over the next uh, year or so as uh, the Ethereum 2 uh, beacon chain starts to uh, light up and add more functionality and uh, people start really uh, using it for uh, all the uh, functionality that it's supposed to bring in. Great. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great uh, intro to what happened with Ethereum. And uh, like we mentioned on the podcast before, you know, Ethereum is really that uh, 400 pound gorilla uh, at this point. You know, there were many Ethereum killers that came along the way. But uh, like along the way, Ethereum has really, really developed and a lot of important uh, things happened for the ecosystem. So uh, uh, apart from BTC and ETH, now let's take a look at some other coins uh, that were talked about this year. So uh, Dogecoin was definitely one of the coins that caught most people by surprise. Uh, as for those of you who don't know, Dogecoin was an internet currency started as a joke. But uh, in the last couple of years, uh, Elon Musk showed uh, some interest in it. And uh, this year, he put quite a lot of his weight behind it, which uh, led to a very sharp increase in its price. Uh, In fact, very recently, Elon Musk announced that Tesla would actually accept Dogecoin as payments for purchasing some of their merchandise. Not for buying the cars as yet, but for some of their merchandise. So I would say... Elon Musk is probably the primary reason for Dogecoin to be in the limelight. Uh, in fact, this even led to a new spin-off of dog coins after the success of Dogecoin. So the most popular one among them being Shiba Inu, uh, which also is a multi-billion dollar coin by market cap at this point. So anyway, um, I guess we can quickly mention some of the other crypto projects that, that saw some kind of growth this year. Uh, Nikhil, is there anything that you want to mention? Yeah, if I may kind of uh, add a comment over there. So uh, this is, again, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of those things that show kind of uh, that, you know, there is all these upsides to crypto, but there's also these kind of dangers, right? So uh, the, the whole idea that a coin that was created as a joke has now become uh, something that uh, people are taking seriously and using as currency, right? Is right. something that people who right-minded people should be scared about. And this is the kind of stuff that makes the regulators 
and uh, you know the financiers kind of question the whole ecosystem because uh, they're like, okay, there's this uh, millionaire sitting over there spouting nonsense about a coin, and then suddenly uh, that coin becomes huge, and uh, it's 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 almost uh, kind of farcical, right? That okay. Uh, you can you can actually create an ecosystem around a personality, right? So it's it, it's a uh, so this this is basically, in my opinion, uh, one of the things that twenty two twenty two revealed also is that uh, while there is a lot of serious investment and people are getting kind of the uh, on board with the whole idea of crypto and all of that. Uh, there is still a lot of these kind of, let's call them experiments, right? Uh, right. These people who are basically experimenting with what can be done. And uh, we can see the, the weakness of the fact that uh, at the end of the day, it is it, uh, crypto coins are driven a lot by belief and uh, momentum and uh, uh, memes, which is uh, which is a little bit uh, in at least to me a little bit of a a challenge in their in, in getting some kind of how, how do I put it uh, giving these things uh, a semblance of stability right I completely uh, agree uh, in in fact I mean like you mentioned you know there's there's no greater rationale or logic behind you know some of these coins having any kind of value I mean uh, Elon Musk he was asked you know why he is backing Dogecoin so much right so and he he has basically announced publicly that you know he only owns Bitcoin uh, Ether and Dogecoin and so when asked why he uh, has this reserve of Dogecoins and why he supports it. His answer was like very, <laughs> very simple that, you know, he, he basically, when he walks around uh, talking to people in his company, uh, in, in the production line, right, like of, of his cars, and when he talks to people, a lot of the people own Dogecoin. And so that's, that's it, that that's his reason, right? So it's not the technology, it's not the speed, it's not <laughs> any greater network effects or anything of that sort, right? So right. Uh, I think you bring a very valid point that, you know, it, it, it's still, even though a lot of things matured this year, uh, we are still in the wild, wild west uh, in that regard, you know, where uh, all these kinds of uh, unforeseen factors are still, you know, uh, deciding multi-billion dollar coins, Right, like what right. goes up and what and, comes and, and ultimately, it comes down to it, it. It is a philosophical question as well, right? Because if you look at that uh, from a very unfiltered, I mean, from a very first principles basis, that's the same argument uh, that can be made for BTC and Ethereum, right? Inherent value is basically because everybody else is using uh, the BTC and Ethereum, uh, Ethereum to a lesser extent, because Ethereum, you can argue that there is a utility value about, uh, on building applications on top of it. But, uh, certainly Bitcoin can be thought of as purely a, uh, you know, uh, uh, driven by what people believe its value to be. And, uh, you know, then you go down the whole rabbit hole of, what is money and uh, money being a uh, shared uh, belief amongst uh, communities and uh, all of that. But uh, uh, ultimately, it, it the fact that, okay, uh, I, I, I don't really, I mean, Elon basically 
makes the case that okay he's looking at his peers in his company and well not peers but his employees in his company but and and kind of going with that but what kind of scares me is the fact that okay he can then put one tweet on twitter and suddenly overnight this becomes like global phenomenon right so that kind of before that before the internet that that was not possible and i think that's one of the things i think where people who are used to uh, central banks and monetary policy and 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 you know central currencies and all that where things are kind of measured and controlled within a particular country uh, get a little concerned about right is the fact that okay i can do this and it literally goes around and becomes global i mean uh, you can take the case of el salvador if you want right so el salvador basically went and said okay we're going to have two currencies now one is uh, uh, the dollar and the other one is btc and uh, and they've gone ahead and they become made btc this quote unquote official currency and all of that and then basically uh, given uh, became the first country to legitimize uh, holding bitcoin but uh, if you look at okay uh, what does that mean for el salvador one thing that people need to realize and el salvador i'm not sure if el salvador knows it or or, or other people might uh, have already raised it uh, is that now el salvador is kind of controlled or actually is uh, not fully in control of its own central currency right so tomorrow uh, there could be a crisis in china or a a uh, crisis in uh, uh, russia whatever right and suddenly the value of of the, the mining of bitcoin goes down somewhere and then suddenly people or, or maybe there is a uh, uh, global uh, a btc whale comes around and uh, sells a bunch of btc and this actually affects an entire country's uh, monetary <laughs> value right and that's that's kind of scary if you think yeah, about and, it yeah and i'll just add you know uh, so when el salvador went ahead and adopted bitcoin uh, all the bitcoin bulls they were very thrilled and they were very excited about you know the, a country for the first time officially adopting uh, bitcoin as legal tender but people in el salvador so if you look at some of the statistics right like 70% of uh, 65 to 70% of el salvador is still unbanked and even with that population there was actually a lot of resistance against the adoption of bitcoin like it it did not really go down very popularly you know like uh, mm-hmm. not a lot of people saw it as okay great you know th- this is a very uh, wonderful move for the economy of the country or anything so Absolutely, uh, there were some yeah. protests and so uh, so yeah i guess you know it's it's still uh, even even though you know that that is a positive sign of adoption happening like you said you know that opens up the country to external forces that are that are not in their hands right so right. Uh, so yeah I, th- i think it's it's a mixed bag of uh, opportunity and risk and i guess you know we'll touch on it a little bit more you know when we uh, discuss some of the other news events from this year with regard to btc adoption and financial uh, usage of crypto uh so yeah i, I guess you know uh, there there were many other uh, crypto projects that that saw considerable growth uh, this year one of them was solana another was uh, polygon uh there was decentral land which which saw a lot of growth so uh, there there's plenty of them uh, too many to mention at this point so i guess we'll 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 uh, go back to 
DeFi and uh, we will just touch on a little bit about you know how DeFi really matured in the year 2021 coming from 2020 and um, because it really was that one uh, driving force that brought crypto back into relevance you know after the 2017 crash so uh, Nikhil do you want to touch upon any specific developments in any projects uh, in, in the DeFi space this year? So, uh, none specifically per se, but on the whole, if you think a look at it, uh, DeFi has kind of, uh, after that crazy uh, year in 2020, has kind of like almost like took a step and uh, you basically see that, okay, now the limelight's moved to NFTs, but uh, uh, the core DeFi, you know, uh, trading, stable coins, all of that basically has continued to kind of evolve and move forward and all of that. And I think one of the more uh, interesting and uh, positive things that have uh, started happening in that particular space is the fact that now uh, you have uh, people like the OCC, right, the Office of uh, Central Currency and uh, institutions uh, and regulators basically looking at stable coins closely and uh, and even giving guidance that, okay, maybe that particular uh, way of doing finance kind of as, uh, using stable coins as kind of the base uh, on which to build these kind of applications uh, makes kind of some sense and uh, might be uh, a way to kind of get the regulators on board, right? So, so that kind of is definitely uh, a positive development, right? So we had, uh, uh, for example, uh, Anchorage uh, being uh, given the con- uh, conditional crypto license uh, to become a custodian. And uh, uh, even though that happened kind of very quickly and very suddenly in January, uh, suspiciously before Biden came on, came along and then uh, there was some speculation about uh, whether, uh, you know, the license would continue under the uh, controller that Biden uh, pointed. Uh, there has not been any kind of significant backpedaling, right? There has been some kind of... Uh, warning and uh, document clarification documents that said you know it's still uh, you're still under subject to the regular fiduciary responsibilities and risks as a custodian but uh, i mean they haven't kind of like shot it down entirely so uh, uh, anchorage has gone gone down and uh, raised a lot of money i think uh, see they recently did a series d and uh, uh, move uh, is uh, moving ahead uh, to become like one of the first uh, digital uh, crypto uh, custodians. Uh, so, which which is essentially, if you think about it from a uh, financial markets perspective, the the missing link uh, to get institutions and you know large institutions like pension funds and uh, uh, the like to kind of start getting into crypto, right? Because before. That if you since they if you don't have a custodian, there's a lot of risk in involved because uh, you're kind of holding to that you you kind of like you don't have anybody to manage uh, the underlying assets. So uh, with that, I guess let's move on to talking about something that can be considered as a main highlight of 2021. So uh, as Nikhil mentioned earlier, uh, if 2020 was the year of DeFi, uh, 2021 was definitely the year of NFTs. And uh, NFTs, I would say, were the single most important thing after Bitcoin that uh, brought the conversation about crypto and its possibilities back among the general people this year. 
So even here on Blockchain Dialogues, uh, we discuss this topic at great length. Uh, for our listeners, we urge you to check out some of our past episodes from this year. Uh, we did an interview on blockchain and gaming with Adrian Creon from Spielworks. We did another interview on NFT specifically with uh, David Lukacs from uh, Liquid Avatar Technologies, uh, which is a uh, Canada-based company. Uh, and also our latest episode was dedicated to talking about the new phenomena of metaverses and virtual worlds and uh, how NFTs will help power the economies of these ecosystems. So uh, I won't bore the listeners with the same details again, uh, but to quickly cover NFTs uh, in a nutshell, NFT stands for non-fungible token. Unlike a currency use case where all tokens are the same, uh, an NFT is a non-fungible token where every token is unique. Uh, and so this one property of NFTs enables all kinds of use ca- uh, use cases from owning digital collectibles, digital art to uh, owning unique tokenized versions of real world assets. So once again, like I said, uh, please check out some of our episodes from this year where we have discussed uh, all about NFTs in great detail. Next, uh, let's move on to a topic uh, that is probably the most important piece of the crypto puzzle and uh, in fact it has been uh, so for quite a while. and uh, nikhil mentioned it in passing with what happened with the dogcoin phenomena and uh, how we are still in 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 early days you know where certain things move the markets uh, up and down unpredictably so this is where uh, regulations become very very important so even though 2021 did not see a great deal of change in terms of regulations for crypto uh, in any of the major global economies i would say overall the industry has seen a positive change in 2021 Uh, when it comes to regulations and financial adoption so uh, like we just mentioned el salvador became the first country to accept bitcoin uh, as legal tender uh, this happened in september september 7th uh, if i'm not mistaken and uh, this means that now basically you can use bitcoin within the country for anything from paying for your coffee and donuts to paying your taxes and uh, the government actually even launched its own bitcoin wallet called uh, chivo to uh, help the citizens on board into the bitcoin payment system uh, and uh, also they announced that the country would be utilizing energy from its volcanoes for the purpose of bitcoin mining in fact they announced a plan to build a full fledged city uh, that they call the bitcoin city uh, and for this purpose they will raise uh, 1 billion dollars by issuing bitcoin backed bonds and uh, out of this 500 million dollars would go towards actually building the city and uh, the remaining 500 million would actually be used to purchase more bitcoin um and something similar but definitely not at the same scale uh, here in the US the mayor of the city of Miami announced that the city will create digital wallets for all the residents uh, using which the residents will be able to pay their taxes in bitcoin and uh, even earn certain dividends which would come directly into the wallets so uh, at a small scale cities such as Miami are showing a great deal of interest in the adoption of bitcoin However, uh, the US as a country is yet to have a comprehensive policy with regard to Bitcoin and other cryptos. So, uh, Nikhil, what do you think? Uh, do you think after El Salvador any other countries will follow suit or do you think the bigger countries will probably still go the opposite direction? In fact, this year in China uh, there was even an outright ban on Bitcoin mining, right? So, how do yeah. you see all of this play out, you know, with, among different countries? So, it's 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 a mixed bag. So, uh, I mean, obviously El Salvador uh, and the Bitcoin thing over there is as much about marketing as it is about uh, the financial part. Uh, the uh, 
the larger countries definitely are still going to take it slow. Uh, there's still a lot of skepticism. In fact, uh, I think uh, the Bank of England uh, has kind of voiced uh, their skepticism of the El Salvadorian uh, move. Uh, but uh, uh, moving back to the US, right? So even though there are no explicit, uh, uh, you know, there isn't an explicit strategy or there isn't an explicit, and it hasn't been any major uh, announcements about it. Uh, it is quite clear that uh, crypto is becoming part of the financial basket, right? The uh, uh, basket of assets. Uh, you can look at uh, uh, the fact that, okay, we have major institutions, Square, we have Venmo, PayPal, all of these large institutions uh, supporting trade in Bitcoin. Uh, even though it is kind of like a... Uh, virtual trade of Bitcoin, uh, it it kind of the the it it brings the local the the average man on the street into the uh, crypto space, right? Because he's he is even though it is virtually buying and he can't actually move the asset out of the uh, wallet of the uh, provider like Square, uh, there it's still uh, a participation in that particular market. And uh, we also have seen that uh, BTC for the first time has eclipsed the uh, uh, PayPal in terms of number of transactions. Though I'm a little skeptical about that, uh, it's probably uh, a lot of it might be just because of the meteoric rise of the value of Bitcoin transactions. And so the fees of the transactions uh, would have gone up. Um, but yeah, the, the point basically is that, yeah, uh, there is definitely more adoption happening. While I see uh, regulations still being considered and uh, most of the larger nations are still thinking through it, India, for example, uh, they basically have kind of reversed, at least in, the, in terms of the thinking, right? So it's, it's before they used to be outright hostile. Now they're kind of thinking of, okay, can how can we support uh, crypto based uh, businesses in india uh, as an opportunity right and and uh, th- that has itself driven uh, a mini resurgence of uh, blockchain based companies in india just just that change in attitude itself right but uh, i am not sure whether we will see a big move uh, in that uh, on that side from a large country. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about, uh, you know, a large country accepting an existing crypto like uh, BTC. We actually talked about uh, central bank digital currencies a while back. I think that is going to be something that uh, is finally going to get some traction. In fact, I think one of the reasons why you know, China pushed back against Bitcoin mining and shut down a lot of the transactions in the crypto space uh, is because there is uh, at least the that's the the rumor that's happening is that they're finally going to start experimenting with and uh, coming bringing out their 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 own digital currency, right? So the digital renminbi. Uh, so uh, that might be something which might gain traction because obviously that's a lot more palatable 
from a government space uh, than trying to accept a, a completely out of control global currency, right? So that 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 uh, I I see that kind of becoming a little bit more the direction where regulations and countries might be going. Right. Since you mentioned uh, PayPal and Venmo, uh, I guess I'll just uh, add quickly. So uh, Visa and Mastercard. Uh, two companies that have traditionally seen crypto as a direct competition to the business. Uh, this year, Visa announced their plan to enable users to purchase Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies using their Visa cards. So uh, even now, uh, they don't see Bitcoin as a rival in terms of a currency. They say that they haven't seen a lot of activity among people looking to buy things with Bitcoin. Rather, uh, they buy it and hold it as a store of value. Apparently, they're also looking to help banks provide crypto buying and trading services to their customers using their Visa crypto software. So, and similarly, uh, Mastercard has also partnered with three major companies uh, this year, uh, and they have plans to release crypto-related debit, credit, and prepaid cards in the Asia-Pacific region. Uh, and uh, like Visa, they're also looking to enable banks to provide crypto buying and trading services uh, to their customers. So uh, yeah, I just thought I'll mention that. Uh, one one other thing about regulations talked about a lot in, in the past few years, that's the Bitcoin ETF. I guess uh, we moved about midway into getting an ETF this year, uh, <laughs> but not there yet. Uh, so uh, Nikhil, do you want to touch on that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, yeah. The Winklevoss twins and the Gemini uh, thing, right? Uh, that... Uh, uh, I think uh, the Gemini exchange is definitely on. Uh, I'm not so sure about the ETF per se. Uh, I, I think they're planning uh, to release an exchange first and then maybe the ETF after that. Uh, to be honest, I don't have all the details. Uh, but yeah, definitely ETFs, uh, uh, it ties back to the whole custodian thing that we talked about, right? So uh, if, you, if you've if you got a uh, the the regulations basically have allowed and if you have the possibility of creating a crypto custodian then you can start building things like etfs and all that because you have a custodian underneath that holds the assets so then you can basically go and trade on them right so uh, an etf basically like you said it's midway through uh, they need to just make sure that the underlying uh, pieces are in place so lastly, uh, let's talk about the path forward. Uh, I know it's a very wide topic because uh, the blockchain and crypto space has so many different moving parts at this point. But uh, what do you think are some of the key things that uh, we should be looking forward to going into 2022? Yeah, so uh, like you said, there's a lot of things that are happening simultaneously. And uh, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of hard for uh, us to kind of we can keep discussing about it, right? It's, 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 uh, this is one of the fascinating things about blockchains and crypto is that it's, it's a wide swath of disciplines that are uh, coming together, right? You have economics, you have uh, finance, you have uh, uh, marketing, you have, uh, uh, you know, all the various business domains. And uh, you have the technology as well, right? So you have platform innovations, you have the new uh, applications that are being coming coming out. So one, one of the things that I think, uh, at least personally, I'm interested in looking into, and I feel I think uh, I'd like, uh, I, I get the sense that, okay, 2022 might be 
uh, the finally uh, the year when that kind of happens uh, is is the whole idea of Web three, right? So uh, just to give you a little bit of a context, uh, uh, we kind of Web three kind of when you think about the concept of Web three, when you kind of talk to people who talk about Web three. Uh, the way they think about it is they divided the internet and the growth of the internet into three phases, right? So the first phase is basically uh, the read version of internet, right? Read-only version where you had uh, a lot of consumers um, and you had a few uh, content creators, right? So you had, uh, uh, so in the in that particular phase, you had the innovations were around search engines, so finding the content and uh, uh, browsers, right? You had Netscape and uh, Internet Explorer, so basically methods to consume the content, right? And and then you had uh, these big corporate websites and uh, you had a lot of information, but again, from a very corporate way, right? Uh, Web 2.0 basically can be characterized by the rise of two things. One is social media and one is the other one is the mobile, right? So social media became... Uh, this idea of uh, getting uh, your audience to participate, right? So they basically created the content for you so you don't have that particular problem of uh, how do you actually get content and how do you create content for your consumers. They kind of created it themselves. And that's kind of like uh, tied into this near, near... Then when you tie in advertising, it basically ties into this almost money-generating kind of a machine, uh, which has... Uh, fueled uh, some of the top companies in the world today, right? And the other one basically was uh, the idea of, okay, uh, the smartphone, uh, which basically pulled the internet into a handheld device and made uh, the internet that something, uh, something that you consumed throughout the day rather than only in front of your computer, which was... Uh, kind of game changing, right? Because now instead of uh, only at work or only at home or for a, for a few hours, you literally had something where anytime you had some free time, you could uh, either consume or you could even produce, right? And produ- the, produ- the, the data that you produce might not even be data that you are conscious that you're producing, but still provide value to the companies, right? Like your GPS location or uh, the fact that you swiped on something, uh, all of this behavioral information, all of that. That and AI, uh, uh, the whole idea of big data and then the fact that you could apply uh, computers to pass through that data and kind of get information about you. That's That was whole, that was Web 2.0, right? So... Uh, the democratization of read and write, everybody started writing you can, uh, and then basically taking all that information and uh, using it to uh, target and make money uh, better, right? improve efficiency. I'll just quickly uh, add my interpretation. So as you were explaining, you know, in, uh, in, in math, you know, you have this uh, mapping, you know, where you have one to one, one to many, and then you have many to many, right? So I guess mm-hmm. uh, Web 3.0 looks like uh, an ecosystem, you know, where people will be both consumers and producers at the same time with a many to many mapping, you know? <laughs> like, exactly, right. No, no, absolutely. So uh, if Web 2.0 is uh, uh, read, write, and uh, the, the, the thing that basically is constraining over there is the fact that 
you don't control your content. Web 3.0 basically is, like you said, uh, everybody becomes both a content producer and a, con uh, a content creator and a content consumer. And that the ratio becomes uh, disproportionately more on the uh, content creation side, right? So essentially, mm -hmm. it kind of provides the tools both uh, to financially incentivize people to create and manage their own data, right? Right. It, it, it provides the tools that allows them to do that and also incentivizes them to do it, right? So the uh, while in Web 2.0, basically, uh, you were happy to uh, give your data away because you didn't have any value for it. And uh, the companies that uh, you were giving the data for you gave you free stuff, right? And you 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 felt that, okay, that, that was a, a fair exchange. In Web 3.0, now suddenly you will have monetary value for things, right? It may not be in terms of dollars and cents, but it definitely will be in terms of tokens and uh, uh, participation and, uh, you know, even the ability to control the direction of where your data goes, right? And uh, companies in turn basically can leverage this uh, by getting people to participate in the company itself. So the idea of a DAO, right? A decentralized autonomous organization, which basically means that every person who is interacting with that particular DAO is a stakeholder in that DAO, right? So that's that's a unique concept. That's It's the idea of a co-op taken to its extreme level, right? So Web 3.0 is this, this idea, but it requires a few things, right? In, in terms of tools and technologies. One thing, obviously, that the blockchains bring in is uh, A, the ability to uh, decentralize and control your data. So with zero knowledge proofs, digital identity, uh, you are able to kind of uh, say, okay, this is my data and control who gets to see what and how. And it's not fully there yet. I'm still waiting for a company that can actually do it in a, a user-efficient manner, but the blocks are there, right? So you have IPFS, uh, that allows you to kind of save your data decentrally in, in a decentralized manner. You have uh, zero knowledge proofs that allow you to kind of provide information about whatever piece of data you want to provide information about without actually revealing the data. So that means you have control of who gets to see what amount, what aspect of your data. Then you have also the idea of smart wallets and wallets on the blockchain where and, and tokens and NFTs where you can kind of kind of exchange this for uh, some sort of monetary value. So these are kind of like the, some of few other things. But there are a few things that still need to be there, right? So you need you need a better interface. So that's where uh, I think the metaverse comes in and the whole idea of uh, what I find uh, what I find very interesting about uh, NFTs and uh, Decentraland and all of these uh, virtual spaces, right? Is the fact that, okay, now you you have a digital twin right, right. of yourself. So you have a digital avatar which can then seamlessly work with all of these other pieces, right? So you have uh, a way to kind of then, uh, one, once you have that and you basically have a way to immerse yourself into it, 
then potentially you become a part of uh, of a entire plane of existence where you can then start natively working with your data, working with the money, working with the uh, the other NFTs, tokens, all of that, all of these other tools that you have in a way that you can't do with uh, just a two-dimensional screen or uh, or, or a computer, right? Uh, you can do it uh, in a computer today. You still have the idea of wallets and you can uh, set up MetaMask and you can do the transaction and all of that. But it feels clunky, right? And uh, it's, it doesn't feel as, as if uh, there's something missing there, right? Uh, and, and I think uh, that virtual reality, met, the metaverse concepts, uh, augmented reality, all of these kind of provide that kind of bridge that that we need to kind of start really interacting with and uh, leveraging all of these other tools. All right, folks, that concludes our podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify. And also, you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.